Oh, censorship. It is a topic that just won't go away. You know, you think Elon Musk, he's going to come in and save everyone on Twitter, but there's still people that aren't reinstated on Twitter. I keep getting kicked off of YouTube and I don't even consider myself um, that controversial. You know, I, I try to come at these interviews with an unbiased approach and hear people out. And, um, you know, we've had a couple people on recently that have been kind of controversial, even in, in our health freedom movement, you know, just trying to get people to expand what they are hearing in their echo chambers and think about things from different perspectives. And, you know, those are that that got me kicked off YouTube. Um, <laughs> so here we are, we're going to talk to Content Safe CEO Matthew Raymer, who for more than 20 years has been encoding and design. But what him and his team at Content Safe are doing right now are, are trying to help those in alternative media, those that are not in the mainstream media and creating content like myself and what we're doing at We the Patriots USA, they're trying to help us get our voices out there and archive our content, protect our content from those censorship giants. And it affects all of you, the listeners out there, the audience. It affects you more than you know. This isn't just an issue for those of us creating the content. It's an issue for those of you consuming the content. So we're going to talk to Matthew Raymer about that. He's joining us from the Philippines, and we're going to hear his story on how he, uh, this American, you know, how he was led to Southeast Asia and how he is, you know, how he views censorship from a worldwide lens because he has seen it from so many different places around. But first, I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the needs that we have here at We the Patriots USA. We are so grateful for all of you um, that help power this nonprofit organization and help us to preserve and protect the rights of Americans everywhere. Like right now, they just took on, a, they just five a lawsuit against Idaho daycare for refusing vaccine exemptions, a daycare refusing vaccine exemptions in Idaho, a freedom loving state. And, um, you know, they are not just in the area of mandates and, and exemptions. They're in the business of helping to preserve all of your freedoms as Americans. And they want to take on more cases. So they're looking to bring on an in-house attorney, but they can't do so without the funds. So if you could sign up for monthly giving, just give $5 a month. I mean, goodness gracious, that would go so far to help them plan to bring on and hire more people at We the Patriots USA. We can't do it without you. And the impact that you can make for just $5 a month would be immense. So please head over to wethepatriotsusa.org to make your monthly contribution today. Now, let's talk about censorship with Matthew Raymer. Where do we go from here? Because the battle has just begun. As eyes open, we continue to arm ourselves with the truth in all aspects of our lives, asking questions and relentlessly searching for answers, educating ourselves and forging a new path forward. Hear from real people faithfully pursuing freedom. This is Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA, a nonprofit 501c3 organization working to preserve and reclaim our God-given inalienable rights. Hi, Matthew. Welcome in to the show. And, you know, hello from the U.S. I know you're, you're far away joining us. 
Oh, hi, Taryn. Yeah, I've I've been abroad for most of my adult life. I I left whenever I was 25. And uh actually the first time I was 24 and I um had a classmate that was uh, starting a business in Hong Kong. Okay. And we had been friends in North Carolina because I, I went to NC State for uh, a year for my graduates, my some of my graduate work. And uh, he had married a Filipina and he'd given me a pen pal. This is back in 94. This okay. is before, this is like at the very beginning of the internet. Yeah. And we didn't really, we used email professionally in the university, but we did not use email casually that much mm-hmm. uh, in personal life. So before really before the internet uh and uh, i went over to visit him one summer and uh i met my pen pal and i had sworn you know like this is just a pen pal uh, this is not anything serious not like my my friend had done and i ended up proposing to her <laughs> so, oh so so wonderful yeah and we we've been together for 26 years this year I believe it's 26 years. Congratulations. That's so wonderful. uh, Yeah. And um, at first we had thought about uh, migrating back Mm -hmm. to the U.S. And we saved for about a year. We started getting my wife's green card. And it came time for the interview. And she and I said, we don't want to go back to the U.S. We're just going to stay here. So I processed my green card for here (laughs) instead of her going to for her green card and i've been fully registered here since 98 because it it's long process here just like it's in the u.s to get to get why not come back to the u.s it's supposed to be the the greatest country in the world right matthew the best country with good propaganda the best (laughs) propaganda i I tell filipinos that say why don't you you know you know why'd you decide to stay here would you go to the u.s it's so much better i say the u.s has better pr Sorry, my daughter brought my snack. Uh, yeah, yeah. I said the U.S. has better PR. Uh, of course, there are differences between the countries, and at the beginning, I think really what attracted me to stay was just the difference in experiencing sure. another culture. But as I stayed here longer, and I began to understand, at least at the time, because things do change here as well, uh, that I didn't really like what I remembered about schooling in the U.S. Sure. So as we started having children, I was like, well, you know, I think I'd much rather school my children here. And it turned out I was absolutely correct. Uh, My children went to a, um, what is it that, uh, what is that called? It's a uh, accelerated Christian education. Okay. ACE. Mm-hmm. And I knew the, it was a private school and I knew the owners of the school. I knew the board. I knew all the teachers. I just had a perfect educational environment where I could interact with them at will. So if there was ever a problem, I would have lunch with the principal and we would discuss the problem. We would talk about the solution. Can you imagine doing that no. in the U.S.? Not today. No, not, not whenever parents are getting kicked out of school board meetings and um, 
you know, being put on the FBI's watch list for showing up to these school board meetings. You know, I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because we have had several interviews lately about, you know, school choice, education vouchers, homeschooling, just, you know, trying to tackle it from all different angles. You know, we don't take a particular stance here at We the Patriots USA, but mm-hmm. we we are trying to, you know, trying to educate people on the different areas and different ways that they can educate their kids. And I think that that's so great that you bring that up. And um, I'm sure you were able to do that, A, because of the different environment. And I'm assuming there's a lack of teachers unions there too. That uh, Well, it's, all, it's pretty much all every, te- well, excuse me, there are some wrinkles in this because officially you have to have a teaching certification to sure. teach, which is a national level certification. You have to pass an exam. Sure. But because there's a lack of teachers, I even did a stint where I taught at the school for a while because all you have to do is show that you have a transcript of record with a bachelor's or above and you are a teacher. They dra- they can just draft you to be a teacher. So it, it, it is a lot easier for people with different thinking to come into the picture. Now, that said, in the last 10 years, things have started to shift more and more and more like they are in the U.S. So the way that they structure the educational programs is beginning to look very much like what I experienced mm-hmm. in public schools. And what I find funny, and that's not funny, funny, ironic, is that at least 10 or 15 years ago, I was talking with the principal of the school and she said, well, they're asking us as a private Christian school to go teach values to the public schools because they don't have any values. Mm-hmm. They have constant problems with their students, whereas her school generally, they had problems, but not like they were having in the public sure. schools. So I'm glad I got my kids educated at that time because they had a little bit more liberty than what I see happening now. This is a global phenomena of uh, educational theory and control and indoctrination. And fortunately enough, I was able to deliver lectures on propaganda and indoctrination at the school. So I was able to at least teach some children about that. And that really does go very much hand in hand with the topic of censorship that we're talking about Mm -hmm. here with you today, because, you know, that indoctrination leads to those that, you know, that wield the powers at these different content sites to want to censor certain types of views Mm -hmm. because of the viewpoints that they are coming from and their um, preaching of tolerance, but lack of lack thereof of it. (laughs) Um, That's right. Tell us a little bit how content safe came about and what you guys do. I'll try to keep it concise, sure. but uh, my family history is a little unusual. Uh, my, I'm like the last child. My parents were actually World War II generation people. So oh, I, wow. I'm generation X. Uh-huh. I was born in 70 and my mom was 37 whenever she had me. Okay. So it's like, I got to experience old culture as well as contemporary culture Mm -hmm. and my brothers well one of my brothers actually was killed in vietnam the year i was born because there was such a wide such a wide gap oh i'm so sorry to hear that 
Yeah, well, see, what I find is I think that that may have been one of the seminal events in my family history that led me to content safe. Okay. Because my I found out much later, actually, my siblings didn't even know this. My parents told me that they had begged the brother to go to Canada to avoid going to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And he had said, no, I, I, I feel like I've got friends dying there. I should go and serve. And that was very unusual. My dad had been a World War II soldier. And I think the death of my my brother led to my father becoming very skeptical of the American establishment. So in my childhood, my teenage years, he was introducing me to kind of like anti-establishment newspapers. (laughs) (laughs) You were a rebel from the the outskirts. I was skeptical at, mm-hmm. because my dad was telling me things that you would hear today, like the bankers run the world and, and all mm-hmm. of this is like 1986. And I was very skeptical. I was a straight A student. I was very geeky, was involved in science and math and all that. I was very down the line establishment. So you put a bookmark on that and then fast forward another decade and I'm in graduate school in computer science. And one of my professors walked in one day and said, this internet can't stay open. It has to be closed. It has to be censored. And I remember that moment in that class, Dr. Crawford, database design. It's like, I remember thinking, no, we can't let that happen. Why do you think he said that? Do you, I mean, to me, he had quite the forethought to think that. I think I was very blessed in having some extraordinarily prescient professors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that I, I, I feel very, I'm very grateful for my advanced education uh, because the people I met there were very much in the know. They understood what was going on in the world. Yeah, to me, that, that that's having actually, yeah, that's him really understanding what's about to happen and what's about to take place. Um, He's a very bright guy. That would have yeah. been 95, 95-ish, right around there. Yeah. So, or 94, actually. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, fast forward a bit, and I, I was established here. And because of family connections, my family is very connected in the police and military here. So I met, uh, let's call him an uncle, because in Southeast Asia, uncles is a very loose term. Sure. And I traveled with the guy several months, just going here and there for things, for business. And uh, he was special forces here. And he started sharing me stories about all the things he'd done and the training he'd had in the U.S. And I was like, that's strange. You know, the, the stuff he was telling me was like, really that that kind of stuff goes on that was very ignorant of of the world and it was things that i would later learn are part of all of our problems with all of our adventurism across the world i'll leave it can you share i was going to say can you share some of those things i'm just thinking of one that's not too crazy (laughs) (laughs) some of these things are absolutely would blow your mind okay i'll share one that's it's already known okay 
I won't, sh- I won't share the stuff that is like, wow, I don't think it would doubt that I'm telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, torture. Sure. Uh, they were trained in torturing people by the Americans. Mm-hmm. And that was actually um, general. There was a famous Philippine general who admitted this uh, to the press about 20 or 30 years ago. And he was just confirming that he'd been involved in and that he'd been trained at Fort Bragg and all of that sort of stuff. So this began to form in my mind a, an understanding of how the world worked. And in addition to this, um, I met a lot of expats here that were retired, either military, like I knew for any of the folks in the audience that know anything about Vietnam history, there was a famous group of Marines called Force Recon. And these are the guys that were trained to go into North Vietnam and shoot, uh, assassinate uh, Vietnamese generals. Well, he happened to be one of my coffee mates. And he went through four tours of duty, assassinated four Vietnamese generals, and gotten shot through the knee. Uh, So he couldn't go back out again. So I got to absorb all those stories. And I met another guy that... I don't even know. I met two guys. I don't even know what their backgrounds were because they'd never tell you. But then yeah. they tell you things about what was going, what went on in the past in the U.S. And you're like, I don't believe that. And then you find out later what did happen. Sort of like uh, Prism, you know, the, the, the controversy about the NSA. Mm-hmm. Well, this guy over coffee is like, oh, I know that's true. I've seen the room. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, I've seen the room. I've been there. I know it's true. And it's like, you start to pile up all of these things. And you're like, wait, the world isn't working the way I thought it worked. Well, at that point, I get involved in YouTube. I get involved in consuming content from different content creators. And because of all this past, I'm like, you know, I might want to keep copies of this stuff even just for my own curiosity or for sharing with friends and family, if it ever gets removed. Mm-hmm. And I, since I'm, I'm actually not just a software developer, I, I triple majored in my undergraduate physics, computer science, and math. So I, I'm very eclectic in the stuff I get involved in. <laughs> sure. So I started, I started writing my own software to save this stuff. And some of them, I even would distribute them through channels like BitTorrent. Uh, if you're familiar with BitTorrent, mm-hmm. it's an early peer-to-peer distribution system for files. Uh, and a few years later, I started getting involved in some of the alternative communities. Uh, in particular, one is uh, called Tragedy and Hope. Uh, this is the group. It's out of the East Coast there in the U.S. They were established back in 2010, I believe it was. And they were, tra- they were teaching people about the history of the world through a different lens. Mm-hmm. And I got to know a lot of people there, which led me to getting involved in their new endeavor, which is called autonomy. And autonomy is teaching people how to be self-sufficient and to make their living on their own. Uh, and they, which is wonderful. They basic, uh, which is the way we have to go. Mm-hmm. Parallel economy the whole way. Well, these guys interviewed me about business because I've been doing IT consulting to provide, you know, food for the table. 
And I introduced this idea of content safe, which actually I didn't have the name yet. I just had the concept. And out of that, they kind of sponsored me as a test case. And they helped me with my marketing. They came up with the name content safe. And uh, the rest is history. You know, I, they started introducing me to people. Uh, I was introduced to you all because of Ricky Verandas mm -hmm. of the Ripple Effect. And Ricky knew Richard Grove of Tragedy and Hope. So uh, it, it's grown from there. And we're, we're actually, uh, we pretty much sewn up all of our premier accounts. And we're now moving into monthly subscriptions for all our new, uh, all of our new clients. Well, we, you know, love everything that you guys are doing for us here on Faithful Freedom and we, the Patriots USA with content safe and that, you know, you're uploading. It's hard for me <laughs> to stay on top of all the different platforms that pop up and they keep popping up because everyone's being censored so much. And, you know, whether, you know, I just got a strike on YouTube last week, once again, um, you know, so whether you're suspended from posting something on social media it's taken down for you to have the forethought several years ago to think oh i need to preserve this content because it could be taken away um you know at the very beginning of when that was even taking place is is phenomenal because now my my stuff's getting taken down all the time or people are or these um, platforms are suppressing the views, they're taking the views away from you, or just making it really hard to get people to um, share the content with everyone. And um, so for you guys and all that you're doing and sharing on like the 10 different platforms <laughs> right now, uh, you know, Brighteon, BitChute, you name it, there's just Rockfin, there's so many other places rather than just YouTube and Rumble that people are are looking to consume content. So um, that's just one of the many ways y'all are helping people right now to get that content out there. Right. And we're also providing consultation to our content creators. Some of them come to us for other things like mm -hmm. uh, uh, maybe they want a website. We can provide that for them. We're also providing offline storage. So if someone's concerned about losing their videos, we provide offline storage in our US office. And I'm actually talking to a hosting company that's privately owned right now. And we're talking about setting up in that privately owned hosting company that's not connected to any of the big players uh, and providing a, a double backup that where we would provide two different offsite backups in case that you just really feel like your information could get lost to the world. Mm -hmm. um, and there are the alternative ways of distributing video now, like interplanetary file system is one of the systems we're behind very hard at the moment. Uh, it's a, basically I call it a grassroots content distribution network. It, it does require more effort than what, the normal consumer would have to do to watch a video. Uh, we would like people to create their own notes in the IPFS network. And right now I'm talking with a group that they're building little appli uh, appliances. They're like little devices that you can just buy and you can be part of the network without having to know a whole lot of technical stuff to get set up. 
that is one technology. There's another one I'll be working with soon called Bastion, which mm-hmm. is another distributed technology. Uh, I got involved in that because of James Corbett of the Corbett Report. His stuff is going to go up on Bastion. And there's also BitTorrent. We post to archive.org now, which is the you know Wayback Machine. Um, yeah, I'm looking at every angle I can to help people stay online. Because it is a real issue now. Just express to people how difficult it is right now to stay online and why that is a problem that people that consume content, the audience, should be aware of and why it's important for them to know about too. Well, to illustrate the problem, especially with a platform like YouTube, uh, I have clients, not just one but several clients that say that they lost their YouTube channels and they were never given an explanation other than hate speech. Mm -hmm. Well, you watch their videos. There's nothing in that video that would express hate speech. So what we're seeing is the attempt to craft in what information you have access to Mm -hmm. so that you cannot make proper judgments about your life. I, I, I think that we often forget that all of the stuff you're consuming is helping you make decisions about what to buy, what to invest in, what's helpful, what's harmful. Well, you're losing that opportunity and you're going to be pushed back 30, 40 years to pre-internet conditions where all you could trust is that one network that told you. Because I grew up being Generation X. I grew up whenever we only had four channels on the television over an aerial antenna. And I could tell you, it does shape your decision-making process. It absolutely, it does. And, you know, in a day and age where we know that, you know, there's all, everyone always has a bias, you know, everyone brings a bias to the table, but the, the tilt that is there on all sides of everything, you know, that, for the information that you're consuming, the media that you're consuming, it's just at another level than it used to be as well. And so tell us too a little bit about, you know, how your, how your global view of all of this comes into play too, because I think that's so important. We are kind of in our own little silo here in the U S. Okay. I've thought a lot about this. Over time, you know, growing up in the U.S., being educated in the U.S., I saw a lot of the stuff that you guys are experiencing very intensely. Back whenever I was being educated, it was being introduced. So the LGBT issues, I remember that. But I hadn't really seen anything about transgenderism until I got here. Interesting. And that was even back in the late 90s. I was going to say, and that was decades ago still, yeah. Right. So I think uh, while every the whole world is a laboratory, I do think that different regions become laboratories for different things. Mm -hmm. And I think Southeast Asia was definitely one of the laboratories for transgenderism, which is a big, 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 humongous issue now uh, everywhere. Uh. Because I met my first transgender person in 
96, 97 here. That's uh, interesting. Then, so what's that what's that topic like there now? Fast forwarding. Uh it's become just every day. Really? I mean, the Southeast Asian culture generally is very accepting of the whole LGBTQ phenomena. They're they're not it doesn't really seem to perturb them that much. Uh, if you get into the more uh, rural areas, they're more traditional. Mm-hmm. But you get into the urban setting, it's just like it's normal. It's completely normalized in those urban centers. And so, so how that, do you think, and I'm sure the content then that they were consuming led to that in the culture? Well, it pushing up to this, starting, say, 8 to 12 years ago, uh, one of the major hosts on national television was a uh, transgender uh, female. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's very and interesting. It, and it's interesting, though, that it, it even though it's generally accepted, uh, it seems like it often gets inserted in places that it's like, why did you insert it there? It's like they they don't just want it to be accepted. They want it to be more than accepted. They want it adopted Mm -hmm. yeah i think that there's so many topics not just the transgenders but just so many of these Mm -hmm. you know ideals that you feel like are just being shoved in front of you you know like Mm -hmm. just for lack of a better term shoved down your throat yeah that's just one i mean the, Mm -hmm. the whole uh the whole covid vaccine narrative here to me Experiencing this on the ground, people who watch the news, the international news in the U.S. were probably here that we were like super strict. And it's like, well, actually, if you were watching the news and you accepted everything you saw on the news, then you were in your house and you weren't going out. You were following the rules. We have plenty of neighbors that traveled all around the country, never got stopped. It's like a completely different world if you didn't buy into what you consumed in media. So I think the same thing is true in the U.S. because I do get to talk to people, especially in rural areas in the U.S., and it's pretty much the same. If you were outside of the major cities, there wasn't really any uh, strictness involved. It, mm-hmm. it, it was all like they pretended to be strict. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my particular city, I called it a Potemkin village because the only time that there was really strict enforcement is whenever there was a camera nearby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as far as the vaccine, I would say, I don't know. I mean, I only have anecdotal things from here, uh, from my wife's village, but I would say we're actually seeing a death rate much higher than the west in terms of the vaccine wow that's again anecdotal Mm -hmm. my wife's village what we do is we watch the facebook posts and it's a it's it's a kind of filipino tradition that whenever someone dies in your family you put a candle up on your profile picture Mm -hmm. and every week one to three deaths in that village of only three thousand people yeah so, it, you know, I, I can't really say for the U.S., but uh, it, it seems to me we were hit harder. 
from the vaccine side, where it's from the actual COVID side, hardly anyone died from COVID here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that could have, that could, you know, have many different factors, including the state of health and diet and, and such. Yeah, our diets, but you know, that's another thing I've noticed is we very much adopted a Western diet here. Sure. Uh, whenever I first came here, there was no one obese, mm. not no one. You never saw an obese person here ever. But now, very common, very, very common to see someone who's obese. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the other factors here are sunshine. We have a lot of sunshine here, lots of vitamin D. Uh, the other is I, I looked at a paper a couple years ago that said that throughout all of Southeast Asia, actual COVID infections were very, very, very rare. And they suspect it was because COVID wasn't new. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That it was old and that the Southeast Asians had encountered it before. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I try to look at things from what I would call a meta-analysis perspective. So rather than viewing, say, uh, right-leaning or left-leaning yeah. only, I, I would want to tour all the way across the spectrum. Absolutely. And I think that that's the only way because, mm-hmm. you know, I've noticed even amongst people that I might have been more inclined because of my background to agree with, I've noticed some of them using propagandistic tactics. And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. you're really not helping the situation whenever you do that because you're playing their game. And uh, and I understand to some extent that if you don't, if you don't understand and use tactics of your enemy, they'll use those against you. I, I understand that, but still, I, it requires me then to step back and say, "Well, I can't really trust anybody." Absolutely, I have to go and check across the spectrum and find out and confirm, and, and most of all, confirm if possible through my own my own senses what absolutely. what I think is going on. And I, that's what we try to tell people here on the, on this show too, is just, you know, to have true informed consent. And that means, you know, getting the information from all sides, trying to get, you know, information and different viewpoints that maybe you haven't thought of or wouldn't think about. And um, that just, you know, opens and expands your mind in general. So what are some of these tactics um, of, of trying to, to keep that, to keep those information ways flowing, right? And and that it's not just one one way um, in so many instances. What are some of these tactics that we can continue to uh, adopt and pursue when it comes to consuming content? Well, one, I think you need to dip your toe into the waters of people that you would normally be kind of repulsed to listen yeah. to. Let, let's say that you are a really hardcore uh, libertarian, mm-hmm. right? And you just can't stand the idea of government supporting anything. Mm-hmm. Well, you need to go listen to Jimmy Dore, right? He's yeah. a hardcore leftist mm-hmm. <laughs> that lives in the leftist world of the bed. The solution is bigger government, you know? And what you'll find is that a if you're leaning to the right, you'll find occasionally that Dora makes some really good points. Like I remember one of the first things I encountered with Dora was the, just the observation that the amount of money spent on military adventurism 
could feed, clothe, educate, and house every single person, not only in the U.S., but practically half of the world. Mm-hmm. Do we really need that much military adventurism to feel safe? I don't think we do. So even if I were more conservative, I might say, hey, you know, I don't agree with his idea that we should feed, clothe, and provide for everybody. But he does have an excellent point that why are we spending so much money on becoming safer? Are we actually becoming safer whenever we invest in that? Or are we actually not becoming safer? We're becoming the opposite. We're becoming more unsafe. Now, I remember... Uh, Whenever I first got into this alternative media back in the early, say, 2010, 2011, I got steeped in the 9-11 movement side. And I knew that talking to friends here, I needed to be careful. I needed to try to look at this not from a technical standpoint, but try to be more pragmatic, Mm -hmm. right? And I I gave a little talk to a group of a dozen friends on just the idea of conspiracy and i tried to mix it up in such a way as to not attribute any particular thing but just to the idea that we should not fall prey to the normalcy bias Mm -hmm. that everything is just going to run the way it's always run and i'm like are you really sure that you're safer now than you were, than your ancestors were 200 years ago. And actually, they tried to push back at me, but I was like, you can't push back at me. Tell me, 20 years ago, this would be like 1980s. Mm-hmm. 20 years ago, could people have said on television what they're saying now? And they're like, no, they couldn't. I said, so have things gotten safer? Things have gotten more secure? They've gotten less. And they're like, oh, yeah, you got a point. It, it, you know, I think the whole conspiracy theory thing has been well established to be a propagandistic social engineering tool to get people to shut them down from looking into things, from investigating mm-hmm. things. So, yeah, I think we need to be dipping our toes in things that make us uncomfortable. We need to be unafraid to listen to something that might sound a little crazy. Well, yeah. And I mean, now, now that we've all been <laughs> through the past <laughs> couple of years, you know, we all know that calling someone a conspiracy theorist, what it just becomes truth. And, uh, you know, a couple months later, that's kind of the joke, the running joke right now, you know, Oh, I was a conspiracy theorist yesterday, but now you're, you're saying, Oh, you were actually right. You know? So, um, I think we've all very much experienced that and, and can I, feel that. I, I saw a content creator. He's not really in the Christian space, but he's in the science space. And he has this T-shirt he wears on his live streams, which is uh, Noah was a conspiracy theorist yeah. until it rained. Mm-hmm. And we shouldn't be afraid to entertain crazy ideas. What What I do... I do what I call a trinary system. I think things are either true, they're false, or I don't know. Mm-hmm. And a lot of things that I used to say true or false, I now put into that category of, I don't know. I need to investigate further. 
Because I think if we get driven into taking a hard position on something, that can be a trap. Yes. The hardest problem. Yeah. The hardest problem I see people right now in my, in my network here is that they were just absolutely pro vaccine, but now people are dying. Mm -hmm. So what do they do? Can they save face? That's hard. Well, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to humble yourself like that. And it's, it's hard to, you know, I keep saying to people though, in regards to the COVID um, shot scenario that it, it isn't actually, I hate to say it's hard to admit you were wrong because they really don't need to admit that they were wrong. No one knew, you know, so that's why they need, I shouldn't say no one knew. Um, some of the people that were talking about it didn't know. That's what I should say. <laughs> some people did know, but uh, you know, they, they shouldn't, I don't like that. They're, I hesitate to say, that they should, uh, that they are admitting they were wrong. Some of these, you know, commentators, they were just trying to figure it out, you know, they changed their minds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They they changed their minds. And I think you've got an excellent point. One thing I look at, it's like looking at communities and seeing how can we improve the situation we're in. Mm -hmm. Uh, the one way we can improve it, improve the situation we're in is to get all of us working on fixing some of the problems. Absolutely. Our problem has been that we are, we are in different silos. We are in different communities. And often one of the most difficult things is to get one community to work alongside another community. Mm-hmm. And I believe that we just have to resolve to say that not everyone's going to agree with us, but on this particular matter, we can find agreement and we will work together to make things better after that's resolved well i think the best we can hope for is that we be at peace with one another (laughs) exactly yes i think that there's a definite um problem that that we all need to work together to to find solutions and help help people and help save people um for sure there's a plethora of problems Uh, Mm -hmm. my brother is involved in local uh like grassroots politics in kentucky and whenever he goes to his uh, meeting, he comes back with, you know, a dozen things that need to be addressed just in the local community. And this has really brought to my mind the need to do things from the bottom up. I mean, we do look at these huge solutions at the top, but actually there isn't a whole lot you could do at that no. level. Mm-mm. The real efforts down at the bottom. And where the and, real and, impact and, is. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I could also see how it was the local resistance to things like the lockdowns and to the vaccines that actually caused things to slow down. Mm-hmm. It it wasn't anything happening at the top that did that. It no. wasn't, you know, how did you get the uh, airlines to stop requiring vaccines to pilots? Well, you only did that by pilots quitting. They all left. Yep. They all left. And we, we saw, we've seen what that's done to the airline industry. And yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how you, that's how you solve all of this. So let me ask you, you know, what's the climate like, um, 
and where do you see the future going with these with these platforms? I think so many people are wondering where they turn next to get all of these different viewpoints. YouTube's not one of those. Rumble seems to be the the leading player in all of this. What are you seeing? Well, I think none of these centralized platforms are safe. Yeah. That's what I think. And I think in the short term, let's think short term, medium term, and long term. Mm -hmm. In the short term, content creators and consumers need to diversify where they view and where they find content. So you could use YouTube. I still use YouTube for some mm -hmm. things. Rumble, but work your way down the tree. BitChute, Odyssey, uh, Bright Eon. Uh, and there are more, <laughs> but you know that's the top five. And work your way down the tree. Contribute to some of these platforms. Don't just go to BitChute and get a free free account go and give them a subscription and uh, you know do the same thing for bright eon or i don't know if bright eon i think bright eon they have some other mechanism for funding support a platform support the content creator start looking at places like telegram because mm -hmm. one thing i'm doing for one of my larger clients that i just brought on a month ago is we're going to be distributing to telegram so we'll be uploading the videos directly there now that's short term, mm -hmm. medium term. I think we need to be as content creators, solidifying our communities and creating our own distribution networks. Ways to get video from uh, either by email or uh, by hand, if you have to. Mm -hmm. in, and in the long run, I think we need to be investing in these distributed technologies, things that are much more difficult to censor and they're not centrally controlled. Meaning still, what what sort of platforms do you mean in uh, that way? Uh, in one, one I have in mind that we're pushing the most is interplanetary file system. It's IPFS. Uh, if you use the Brave browser, mm -hmm. Brave has IPFS integrated into the browser. So okay. you could use it to view content uh, on a distributed network rather than through a centralized platform. That's interesting. Um, yeah, because and I, I like how you're telling people to support these these uh, different platforms, because I think so many people, you know, one of their main criticisms is that, you know, they're just not up to the same level. We hate to say it, but YouTube's such a great user experience from all sides, from those that are uploading. If you're not being censored, um, you know, it just, they get the videos out there to so many more people. They have a better monetization um, scenario, you know, for those that are creating the content, those consuming the content like it, but it's because they're very well funded and because they are very well staffed and, and things like that. And so, you know, money is a part of the solution for some of it, unfortunately. Well, well, we, we all need to eat, yep. mm -hmm. <laughs> to eat pay our mortgage, you know, it, it's just reality. And we did get spoiled by that 10, 15, 20 year stint where everything you did online was free. Mm -hmm. We're spoiled by that, but some would argue that was a trap it was. because nothing's free. You're going to have to pay it back. And maybe, maybe it's not too crazy to imagine that what we're going through right now is the payback for the 20 years of free stuff we got. 
I 100% as someone who has a background in journalism and saw, you know, what this free online market did to newspapers, did to investigative journalism units, how it just decimated good journalism because people expected free content and good journalism requires time, legwork, investigation and um, you know, smart people to to pay right. to to do that. And you know, even if you're passionate about something, you still have to eat. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I I've experienced this myself with Content Safe. You know, we we really did take it on the chin for three years. Uh, we we actually gave a lot of time. People did pay us some money, but we invested far more time than we got paid for. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm not saying this in any negative way. I'm just stating it as a fact. Even if you're idealistic and you're passionate about it. You still got to have money. And I, I just find it despicable if you watch comments in a live stream where you'll have some nobody saying that a content creator is a grifter because they're asking for money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it takes, it, it, <laughs> how do you, <laughs> just like a job, you get paid to do your job. This is, this is our job. And, you know, this is a great way for us to say thank you to everyone who's supporting me, the Patriots USA, because it keeps this podcast online right. because we do need to, to feed our families. And, you know, we'd rather be doing it through these routes where we're working for good organizations like this and, you know, and giving up some of the cushier uh, jobs, the cushy benefits, the cushy salaries. We we're we're gladly giving that up to be doing mm-hmm. this. Um, and mm-hmm. so we we are so grateful to people that recognize that and help support it. And, and I think that uh, a lot of these people that complain about grifting are just agent provocateurs trying yeah. to tear down the content creators mm-hmm. uh, and trying to scare the audience. Uh, I don't think it's working. I, I think that. Uh, we are moving into a zone where it's going to be difficult to go back to corporate media. Yes. Yes. I think it's a, a, we're talking about all these different obstacles, but I think it is also in a very exciting time um, as well for just what could become of all of this in the future and all the many different voices that are coming into play. Right. And I think as you see the, uh, the older generation, uh, passing away uh the younger generation say younger than me maybe 10 years younger i'm a little bit of an outlier uh i guess i often get classified as one of those people that would still be watching cnn but i you know i'm not <laughs> definitely uh, <I> gave, not <laughs> well i gave up on cnn before i even got into alt media i just stopped mm-hmm. watching news in 20 in 2007 i i just said i'm fed up with this i'm not watching news anymore and I was reading articles online, but I was like, I hadn't really committed to going to YouTube yet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once you get uh, into the video, consuming video content, there's really no turning back. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, it's great. It really is. And um, there's so many different ways that you can educate yourself on so many different subjects through that. Um, so as we, as we finish up, you know, what are your your final thoughts on how people can get involved in what content safe is doing and just the overall big picture too. Well, you know, I would say this is a good opportunity that if you have, if you're an expert in something, uh, 
you should start content creating. Mm -hmm. I mean, one thing we do is we will get with people who haven't done content creation and we will help them get involved in content creation. That's wonderful. Uh, one thing, you know, one thing we do is, uh, is actually helping them with booking interviews because we are, have a growing network that the company is not, it's not inclined toward any particular viewpoint. Yes. So we support a lot of people in a lot of different communities. And if you're an expert in something or you are passionate about something and studied it, we're help, we're, we can help you get connected. Uh, we can help you get set up on the web. We can help do all of these things that you need to be a good content creator. I even have a car maintenance guy that came on three months ago to content. That's awesome. Yeah. And he said, well, he said, well, I, I don't really feel like I'll be censored, but one, I never know. And two, I like what you're doing. So I'd like to support what you're doing. That's wonderful. That's so amazing. And people can head to contentsafe.co, contentsafe.co mm -hmm. uh, to, to check out what you guys are doing and to get involved. Um, and you have a podcast yourself as well. I did for a while, but it's 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 going to be rebooted. I hopefully in the next month or two. It's mm -hmm. called Deplatformed, and it's deplatformed.co. Wonderful. Now, our, our our whole angle there is we we don't publish the podcast, or we didn't. My business partner made make me change my mind, but we <laughs> were originally not going to publish it to any centralized platform. It was only going to go up on IPFS because oh, wow. our our goal was to be basically the equivalent of pirate radio but on the internet mm -hmm. no i think that's great and you're seeing that you're seeing that happening even in the i don't the second what do we even call the the big players in alternative media you know you've got your mainstream media and then you've got those that are uh high up there in the alternative media where you know people are like crowder and daily wire and the blaze and they have joe their own rogan. and joe rogan they have their own platform yeah maybe we'll see. yeah mm. they have their own platforms that you can go to that are not um these centralized platforms and and so i think that's i would important. say that they're 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 actually influencers yeah and i my argument is we need less joe rogan's and more taryn gregson's <laughs> Well, thanks. I think Joe's doing a great job, but um, I agree. I agree. I think it's, um, I think it's important to have many different voices up there. Yeah, and see, what we get is an opportunity to develop close knit communities. I've argued this with many content creators that what should you be setting your sights on? Should you be setting your sights on a uh, hundred million followers or? Should you be setting your sights on 50,000 that you have a solid core of two or 3,000 that provide support? You know, say a few hundred of them, you know them by name. Mm -hmm. And then a, a dozen of them, you know their family histories. I think that that's better. That's healthier than this gargantuan audience that you can't possibly know anybody in it because it's just too big. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it um fosters the relationships that are necessary for um healthy a healthy people <laughs> and i think that it also ends up being you know from 
advertiser standpoint, from, you know, subscriber standpoints, it just ends up being a more quality experience for everyone involved, which leads to more loyalty from everyone involved. And um, that's a good that's a good thing for everybody. Well, I, I've, I've been observing a lot of content creators that aren't our clients. And what I'm seeing is that the, these really healthy communities that they do meetups, mm -hmm. some of them, if they have a big enough audience, if they have enough funding, they actually go across the country, to different select cities that they know they have a lot of people that consume their content. They meet at a restaurant, they meet, uh, you know, wherever, and they actually get to know some of the people that watch their material. And that's a, that is a very good strategy. And it's also healthy yes. because you get to see, they get to see you're a real person. Absolutely. And we get to see them as a real person and know the things that they want to talk about and that they're passionate about. And I think that that's um, a wonderful bit of advice and something that, you know, stay tuned, everyone listening uh, to, to some things upcoming from We the Patriots, because uh, that, that community is very important to us too. All right. Well, thank you, Matthew. Great. Thanks for joining us. And, um, Thanks. you know, it's, as we record this, it's late in the evening for me, but early in the morning for you. So yeah. have a good day. <laughs> Likewise. You, thank you for your time. Thank you.